Welcome to the Portland Christian Center Podcast. This week, we will hear from Pastor Boyd Powers on missions. Now here is Pastor Boyd. Thank you so much. Praise the Lord. It's great to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen? What an exciting morning already. I feel like I've heard two messages. Pastor Rick started with one, and then Paul, his statement, Alan Hirsch, that, that's great. But we're here today to celebrate God's love for the world, aren't we? You know, the mission of the church is missions across the street, around the world, to touch the lives and hearts of, of men and women. And it's my prayer that you will be personally challenged. This isn't necessarily about the church corporately, and yet it is, but it's about us individually being challenged to embrace our calling as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're the sent people of God. We're the ecclesia. We've been called out for a purpose, and that purpose is God's, God's mission. Here is an adage that I would like for you to contemplate this morning as I'm going to move into my message for today, but here is an adage that I have been thinking about, and I want you to think about it this morning. It will take the whole church. We're talking about the global south, the global north. We're talking about the universal church. It will take the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world to fulfill God's mandate. Amen? To fulfill God's mandate. Your participation, both individually and collectively, is essential to completing the unfinished task because the task has not been completed. Now, this is a mission summit, so I want to give you a snapshot of the history of modern missions. And I mean, it's it's a snapshot, but leading into what I want to share with you today. The 1800s are referred to as the great century of missions. William Carey, known as the father of modern day missions and missionary to the country of India, focused on the coastlands. This is the 1800s, the 19th century. He was followed by individuals. If you've read any missions history, like Paul said he, he, he likes, if you've read any of it, names like Hudson Taylor, C.T. Studd, they went inland, pressing into the interiors of China and Africa in a relentless pursuit to reach those who were living beyond the reach of the good news of Jesus Christ. You move to the next century. The 1900s are known as the Pentecostal century, the 20th century. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit at the beginning of that century exploded the growth of the church around the world, really exploded the growth of the church around the world. And people like our Assemblies of God forefathers fully depended upon the Holy Spirit and little, little else committed themselves to God for the greatest evangelism the world has ever known, as they too began to pursue people living beyond the reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to talk to you about an individual 
I want to zero in on one life. A man by the name of John Eric Booth Cliburn. He was the grandson of Salvation Army founder William Booth. He was one of those early 20th century missionaries. It was the year 1913 when Eric attended the Keswick Convention in England. And it was there as a 17-year-old boy that God began to move on his heart and he filled a call to French West Africa. God impressed that upon his heart deeply and, and over the next several years, he prayed, he prepared, he got training, he was married, he served in ministry along with his wife, Lucille, and they waited on God. She was fully aware of what God had spoken to him as a 17-year-old. They prayed, they waited on God. And then in 1923, it was 10 years later, God made it clear that the time had come to answer the call to Africa. Later on, Lucille wrote these words that I want you to hear this morning. She said it was a sacred, this gives you some insight into their heart, it was a sacred and a hallowed moment as we face the full significance of such a step for the danger, the hardship, the privation of missionary life was not unknown to us, but so strong, so definite was the call of God that we dared not, we dared not draw back. As our all was laid at his feet in a willing, yes, Lord, said from our whole hearts, an indescribable divine peace and joy surged over us so that we cheerfully went forward. We cheerfully went forward. They knew what they were getting into to a certain degree. But you see, this couple, along with a little girl, their little Phyllis, this couple chose to push into a region beyond the reach of the gospel, and it made a difference. Let me unpack their story just for a moment this morning. On April 23, 1924, Eric and Lucille and their daughter Phyllis, they sailed for Africa by way of England. Eric wanted to say goodbye to his family. And then from London, they traveled to Paris where they set sail for West Africa on May 22nd, 1924, May 22nd, 98 years ago yesterday, they set sail for French West Africa. And it was early on Wednesday morning, the 4th of June, some 13 days of travel across the ocean. They arrived off the west coast of Africa and together with their belongings, they were offloaded in the country of Ivory Coast June 6th, they arrived on the 4th, June 6th, they were in the city of Abidjan. They got on a train and they traveled the train to the city of Bowaki inland, to the terminus of the railroad, and it was there that 
They took all of their belongings that they had and they piled them in an old Ford pickup and they traveled a further 600 miles inland to the country of Burkina Faso, then known as Upper Volta, to the city of Ouagadougou. If you can spell that, <laughs> Ouagadougou. Here's an excerpt from Eric's journal that was dated June 11. So they're the fourth, so the 11th. One week, he said the Mosi tribe, nearly two million strong. This was a totally unreached area of the world, the continent of Africa. And he said the, the Mosi tribe, nearly two million strong, is the center of a network of tribes practically neglected insofar as missionary activity is concerned. The Lord has put this responsibility at our door. What is going to be our attitude? June 25th, Eric wrote his last letter from the mission station in Ouagadougou. Seven days later, on July 2nd, he contracted malaria and he suffered terribly with dysentery. And on Tuesday, July 8th, John Eric Booth Cliburn, the grandson of Salvation Army founder, passed away at 10 p.m. in the evening. Arrived on the 4th of June, called home on July 8th. Shortly before their departure from the United States, Eric wrote these words to his mother. And he said, and now as we turn to Africa, that continent so dark, I know how hard it will be for us to part. But our Lord bade us to occupy till he come. And we are obeying his command without reasoning till our work is done. A heart fully committed to reach those living beyond the reach of the gospel. Two years ago, I was in the city of Lome, Togo. Two pastors from Burkina Faso traveled 13 hours by bus. I spent an evening with them and they began to describe to me their feelings for early pioneers like Eric Booth Cliburn, who is, who is buried in a, in a graveyard near the city of Ouagadougou, there in Burkina Faso. Eric and Lucille, as you look at this couple, they chose to answer God's call to a region of the world that they knew was called the white man's grave. It was, it was not a friendly place. And these, these two pastors, as they begin to relate to us what God had done through the influence of the life of this one man and others that were followed. But here's, here's the outcome. You ask, was it worth it? One month, was it worth it? And I can tell you that today in a country of 21 million that is predominantly Islamic, there are over 6,000 Assemblies of God congregations with 1.2 million 
adult members and a church that has mission at the very heart of who they are. They have sent missionaries all through West Africa. That, that people group, the Mosi tribe, God has transformed and is using them as a vehicle for his grace. And that church looks back with gratitude to men and women like Eric and Lucille who made a radical commitment, who obeyed without reasoning and relentlessly pursued people living in the regions beyond regardless of the cost, regardless of the risk, regardless of the sacrifice. What happened in Burkina Faso is, is a story of God's grace. But friends, it testifies to the power of the gospel to transform the lives of people. It testifies to the power of the gospel to not only transform the lives of people, but of nations, of, of people groups, of cities like Portland. The power of the gospel, the inner city of Portland. I look at our, our, our university campuses. It testifies to the power of the gospel to transform the lives of students that are on campuses spread across this state and around, around this nation. But it requires people like you and I. And I can tell you that when God's people, regardless of their, of their social standing, their economic status, all of these things, when they are consumed by an insatiable desire to relentlessly pursue those who are living beyond the reach of the gospel, whether it's across the street or around the world, when we're, when we're passionate about reaching out, God can use us to do the impossible. You believe that? Amen. You believe that Hudson Taylor, one of those missionaries I mentioned earlier in the 1800s, Hudson Taylor, missionary to China, something that he said is still true today when he said the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed. It's, I mean, he hit it right there. And as I said earlier, it's gonna take the whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world in order to finish the unfinished task. Jesus said this gospel shall be preached into all the world, not some of the world, but all the world, and then the end shall come. Now with that background, I want us to turn, we're gonna look at a passage of scripture from Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, I'm gonna be reading from verses 18 through 24. And from that passage there, there are two things that I want to draw your attention to. But Paul wrote these words to the church in Rome. And he said, beginning in verse 18, he said, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there's no more place for me to work in these regions, 
And since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. There are two dynamics in this text that I want to draw your attention to. Both of them have direct implications for your life, for Portland Christian Center, and both relate directly to God and his purposes in the 21st century. We, we looked at a couple of centuries ago, but God has purposes for this century, for the 21st century, for those who live beyond, because you see there are still people that are living beyond the reach of the gospel. There are still people on this planet that we call home that are living beyond, currently living beyond the reach of the good news of Jesus Christ. But two dynamics, the first one that I see in this passage that, that speaks very loudly to me is found in verse 20 where Paul talks about a godly ambition. Godly ambition, he said, it's always been my ambition, an earnest desire to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. It's very clear that Paul was controlled by a godly ambition. I say that he was controlled because in verse 22 he says, this is the reason I have so often been hindered from coming to you. And then at the end of verse 23 he said, I've longed for many years to come to you. He wanted to see the, the church in Rome. But friends, when you long to do something for years and years and years, but you don't do it even though you could, something is controlling you. And something was controlling, controlling Paul. What was it? Simply put, he had not finished the task. He had not finished sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with the people in this, in this region. He said from Jerusalem to Elycrium, but at, at this point, as you, as you look in verse 23, he says, I no longer have any room for work in these regions. What does that mean? That means God had done something there through the life and ministry of this man and those that, that he discipled, he discipled. Paul was controlled by this ambition so that people from Jerusalem and, and I believe we have a slide that will show that's the region, modern nations up through Syria and Turkey across, that's, that's quite a large area. I mean, he didn't have Uber. He didn't have a speed the light car. He may have had a donkey, I don't know, but uh, a lot of that, he spent, he spent walk, walking. But now, the work was done in these regions, and his ambition was taking him to Spain, and he was finally free to do something that he had been wanting to do for a long time, and that was to visit the church in Rome. Now, here's a question that I would just ask all of us to consider this morning. What is your ambition? What is your ambition? What causes you to lay awake at night? What is it that gets you up in the morning? What do you care deeply about? 
I'm not suggesting this morning that that your ambition should mirror that of the Apostle Paul directly, and yet there's implications there for, for all of us. For all of us. I believe that God would be pleased if his people were passionate about what he's passionate about. Would you agree with that? That our passion would mirror that of the passion of God. But then I got to thinking about this and, you know, what, what, what is the source of a godly ambition? How can you, how can I really anchor our lives to an ambition that pleases God? And as I begin to study this, this scripture, I think that there's a, a, a critical link to the answer that is found between verses 20 and 21. Now, I want, you to, I want you to look at this. Paul says, thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. So that's his ambition. But then he says, but as it is written, then Paul quotes from the Old Testament. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 52, Verse 15, perhaps this was his favorite verse because the Old Testament scriptures are full, full of the mission of God and his plan for the nations. But Paul said here, he said, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. He could have also read Isaiah 49, 6, where God said, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the nations, the ends of the earth. That's God's heart. And when we look at Paul as he's talking about his godly ambition, that ambition was anchored in the word, in the word of God. And I think this is a relevant point for us to consider. You know, if you, if you study the book of Acts, chapters 9, 22, and 26, Paul was called in a rather dramatic way to his mission. I mean, he was on a donkey, and he got knocked off the donkey, a blinding light, and a voice spoke to him and said, Paul, it's kind of hard for you to kick against the pricks. And what did he say? He said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus. Now, I don't, my calling wasn't that way. <laughs> and I doubt many of us were here, but man, Jesus spoke to him and said, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith set apart by faith in me. Paul's calling came directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. God called him to be a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles. But when I read Romans chapter 15, verse 21, he doesn't talk about that. He doesn't talk about his dramatic experience on the road to Damascus. He doesn't say, I have this ambition because God knocked me off my donkey, blinded me with light. But what does he say? 
He said, I have this ambition. I'm controlled by a passion to preach where Christ has not been named because Isaiah says, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. How is that going to happen? I believe that Paul searched the word of God and recognized God's plan that all nations be blessed and the word begin to shape his life and his focus. That's where his ambition was found. That's where his ambition was found. Paul went to the scriptures. His ambition was confirmed and there was the explanation of his calling to see how it fit into God's plan for his people. So where does the godly ambition come from? Where does it come from? I want to suggest to you this morning it comes from an encounter with the living Christ. We have to have that. Maybe not necessarily as dramatic as Paul's Damascus Road encounter, but also like Paul, it's an ambition that is shaped. It's informed by the word of God. It's shaped and informed by the word of God as you meditate upon the law of the Lord night and day, as the psalmist said. As you immerse yourself in God's word, friend, I am convinced that he will burn into your spirit an ambition that is in alignment with his purpose for his people. And it will be something that you can't get away from. It will be something that will drive you. It will be that thing that will get you up in the morning. It will be that thing that you will think about as you're going to bed at night. It's an ambition, a godly ambition, a passionate ambition. So that's the first dynamic that I see here this morning. Let me, let me move now to the second dynamic that, I, that is very important because the two go together. And that is the second dynamic is a strategic partnership. He had an ambition, but Paul could not fulfill what he did without a partnership. It required other people to join him on mission. You know, more than 2,000 years have passed since the day Jesus charged the church with making disciples of the whole world. And yet, if you Google it today, you're going to find that the world's population is some 7.8 billion, with a B, people. And then if you go to a site like the Joshua Project, you ever want to see something that will stir your heart, joshuaproject.net, begin you'll begin to see where we stand as in, in terms of completing the unfinished task. And according to the Joshua Project, there's 3.2 billion people that are categorized as unreached and sensitive. They're living in a region of the world that they call the red zone. The red zone. 42% of our world's population lives in that red zone. And these people... These people are unreached. But here's something that is more incredible to me to consider, and that is that they have no access to the gospel. 
They have no access to the gospel. They don't have a neighbor that is a believer. There's not a church down the street. There is no one that is engaged with them in sharing the best news that could ever be shared, and that's the news of the Lord Jesus Christ. How are they going to be reached? How? That's, the, that's a question that we have to ask ourselves. In this passage, Paul provides a glimpse of the solution, and that's a strategic partnership. Look at verses 23 and 24. He said, I've been longing for many years to visit you. I plan to do so when I go to Spain. That's his, that's his next mission. When I go to Spain, I hope to see you all passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. This passage of scripture talks about the interdependence of the body of Christ. We're one body, many, many members. Paul's ability to fulfill his calling as a frontier missionary was because there was a body and every member of the body had a part to play. The people that are out on these displays that have responded to the call of God to go into our city and to reach certain people groups and onto our university campuses into the nations of the world, their ability to fulfill what God has called them to do is only possible because of the people of God that we're all members of a body, we have a role, we have a role to play. In, in Romans 12, Paul wrote these words. He said, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body. Right. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. Attorneys, doctors, Builders, you can go down the list. We all have different vocations, different roles, but it's all of us recognizing that we have a godly ambition to align our lives with the heart of God, and that is to touch the nations of the world across the street and around the world. And it's as we members of the body of Christ are doing our part that we're gonna finish the job. God hasn't called every one of us to be, to be global missionaries, cross-cultural missionaries, but when it comes to God's mission, there are two categories of believer. The one is obedient and the other is disobedient. That's bottom line. That's, that's the bottom line. As a local church, Portland Christian Center, and you as an individual, I just want you, to, I want you to get excited about this. Every one of us have a role to play in God's glorious, redemptive plan of reaching the nations. From the day that God spoke to, to Abraham and he said, I'm gonna bless you and through you all nations will be blessed. We're a part of that heritage, of that lineage, and God wants to use us. Now let me wrap up this morning. I have one more illustration that I wanna share with you and, and then we'll be finished. 
In the early years of the 19th century, King Frederick William III of Prussia found himself in trouble, found himself in trouble. The War of Liberation against Napoleon had been costly. And in trying to, trying to rebuild his nation, he was seriously short of finances. It was, it was a struggle and he didn't feel that he could disappoint his people and to surrender to the enemy was not an option, as you can manage. So to fund the war, he asked the women of Prussia, and I want you to, I want you to hear this, to bring their jewelry of gold to be melted down for their country. And in return, the people were given iron jewelry with this inscription, I gave gold for iron with the year 1813. The response was overwhelming. It was, over, it was overwhelming. The women prized their gifts from the king more than the former jewelry. Why? Because the iron jewelry became a symbol of patriotism, became a symbol of loyalty. The iron jewelry was proof that they had sacrificed for their king and it even became unfashionable to wear gold. Some sources say that the iron jewelry was created for exchange was forged in the shape of a cross, establishing the order of the iron cross. But regardless of the shape, the exchange of gold for iron saved Prussia. As I've thought about this, this exchange reflects a selfless ambition. I think we could say a godly ambition. And not only that, but a willingness to forge a strategic partnership. The people forged a strategic partnership with their king and they saved their nation. This morning, God is looking for people, individuals, a body collectively, who are willing to embrace a godly ambition that is in alignment with his purpose and plan for his church. He's looking for people with a godly ambition and a willingness to forge a strategic partnership with their king, with their king. To exchange gold for iron saved Prussia in the 19th century and today, God is looking for those who will go. He's looking for those who will give. He's looking for those who will pray regardless of cost, regardless of sacrifice, regardless of risk. He's looking for people who will willingly exchange the gold of personal safety and financial security and relentlessly pursue those that are living beyond the reach of the gospel. He's looking for people who are willing to exchange the gold of comfort and convenience of home 
and relentlessly pursue those who are living beyond the reach of the gospel. He's, he's looking. He's looking for people. You see, God, think about it. The creator of heaven and earth and us is looking to partner together with us, friends, in a strategic alliance that will make a difference for time and for eternity. And my question to you today, are you willing to step up and say, here am I, Lord? One last verse of scripture, and then I'm going to turn it to Pastor Rick. But Jesus said this, he said, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Those who were living beyond the reach of the gospel are waiting for someone to die for their sake. Thank you for listening to the Portland Christian Center Podcast. If you'd like to hear more or learn more about us, visit our website at the cctoday.com or join us for our live streams at 1030 at live.pcctoday.com